1: can you refresh your wardrobe without wearing out the planet i'm sasha ann simons and this is reset it's spring and if you're like me you're cleaning out your closet getting rid of things that don't fit are worn out or are just so the old you and you might be wanting to fill those hangers with some fresh fits but not so fast our love of new looks and throwing out last season styles are terrible for the environment. The U.N. estimates that a truckload of abandoned clothes is incinerated or dumped in landfill every second. In a bit, we'll hear about how some people in Chicago are tackling this issue. But first, to understand fashion's environmental impact, we're talking to Karen Weigert, Reset Sustainability contributor. Karen, that term fast fashion is in vogue these days. So what does that mean exactly? And is it fair to say that the bulk of our clothes fall under that category?
2: It's probably fair to say that. And when we're talking about fast fashion, it's really been a fundamental switch in the fashion industry. And the fast really comes from how quickly new items come to market. So, you know, you go back a couple decades and fashion had four seasons and new things would come out of the high fashion lines and they would gradually trickle down into things that you would find in an everyday store. So the color or the cut or the shape. But now you're seeing new things introduced almost constantly, like literally weekly. Mm-hmm. You're having major, major. Yeah. When new did that happen? When
1: did this fast fashion come into play?
2: Fast fashion, loosely, you could say, probably around 2000. So if you look at kind of 2000 to 2014 or so, the number of garments produced globally doubled. We're now in a world where you're we're talking a hundred billion garments a year.
1: Wow. Yeah. Huge. That's a lot. So the the point here, Karen, is is not to villainize people who get their clothes from fast fashion, right? Out-of-pocket costs are, are often much lower than more high-end sustainable uh, sustainable options. So, what efforts are you seeing though to make environmentally conscious options more accessible to folks or to all people?
2: Yeah, the the start is always the well. How many items do you need? Uh, but when you do have to get a new item. Uh, We are seeing more and more companies start to make inroads in reducing the environmental impacts of fashion choices. So you'll see things like different dyes being used that will have less of a toxic output. You'll see a reduction in uh, trying to use fewer plastics actually in our clothing. It's been a huge growth area and less water. So you will see that it's definitely something to look for. Some labels will actually brand the actual item or a subline. Um, but it's in a broader industry that has become incredibly fast, as we were talking about, and it's a massive global supply chain. Um, so you are seeing inroads in multiple brands. Um, even uh, even you know the local company we talked to a couple weeks ago that does carbon recycling, even yeah. they are creating a line uh, of plastics that can go into clothing. But we're still talking about plastics in clothing.
1: Yeah, it, producing clothes. I mean, it takes a lot of raw materials, right? We're talking everything from cotton to oil, right, that's used to make polyesters. What are the issues with that?
2: Well, you absolutely nailed it. it it's interesting to think about that there's a huge amount of oil being used to make our clothes. Uh, there's a huge fossil piece. Now, there's also just broader carbon emissions from the entire system. It can be 8 to 10% of carbon emissions globally. Um, but we're seeing a lot of polymers and polyesters essentially being blend it into fabric so it's in a lot of clothing it's probably in the majority of clothing now that we're seeing um, and that just wasn't the case so that's a fossil base to begin with and then you've got more natural fibers like a cotton or a wool um, but cotton can be very very water intensive so you're seeing a lot of just carbon in general you're seeing a lot of fossil you're seeing a lot of dyes uh, and you're seeing a lot of water mm-hmm. as we're thinking about the 100 billion plus pieces of clothing produced each year water i'm thinking denim in particular right that yes. takes a lot of water Absolutely. It's a huge question in in, uh, companies that sell denim. It's really cotton-based. So, you know, you start with a plant, but they're often grown in dry climates. So it takes an extraordinary amount of water. It's estimated that it can be 2,000 gallons of water for one pair of jeans. And a way to put that in practical terms is that's enough for one person to drink 10 cups or to drink eight ounces of water multiple times a day for 10 years.
1: That's one pair of jeans. One pair of jeans. Wow after the shirts and pants are made, they have to get to the store. This is going to involve trucks, planes, ships, a lot of diesel, right? So what impact does getting the goods to market have on carbon emissions and global warming?
2: Yeah, that's an important part of this picture. And There's an interesting way to think about it. It's probably actually twofold, which is how do we shop now? And much of shopping is still happening going to a physical store. And so you do have the carbon emissions of transporting from raw materials that are sourced globally and the fabrics that are then typically put together internationally. So the largest sources of clothing, it's really China and then Bangladesh. You've got all the carbon emissions to get here, but then you've got a a new shopping approach, which is ordering online. So you have a kind of a parallel supply chain that's Mm -hmm. working that way. All of which ends up with delivery locally. So the supply chains that have online, you're having those trucks deliver to your home or to the warehouse where you're picking up uh, or else you're going yourself. So Mm -hmm. the carbon emissions is a a big part in terms of logistics. And that layers on top of the environmental impact actually of making the materials.
1: But so it's getting into the hands of consumers. What do we know about how long on average folks are wearing the clothes before they get rid of them?
2: This is one of the things that's actually been changing a lot in the last couple of decades. And uh, I, I saw a, a phrase, it was clothing utilization, and it's, it's down 36%. But, so the idea is people are wearing clothes less before they get rid of them. Mm. Some clothes, uh, some studies have said even clothing might be worn only seven or ten times before people are discarding it. So there's yeah. been a huge growth in the number of garments that the typical consumer, particularly in North America, might have. And then those items are actually being worn much, much
1: less, and then they're discarded. Yeah, I can believe that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even just think of when you go thrifting or so and things just look brand new and it's like, you know, they're secondhand, but is it really? The person must have worn it once or twice.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it it goes back to this beginning part of the clothing industry is able to produce on-trend items so fast Mm -hmm. that they can very quickly be in the store and then very quickly be discarded.
1: But it's adding up to a lot of clothing that's just not being worn much. So we're wearing our clothes, Karen, for, for shorter amounts of time help us understand what's happening when we go through our closets and we decide I'm going to get rid of these items where do they go usually
2: well the short answer is they end up in landfills
1: i mean there's there's you know a
2: longer answer to that of you know some might go first somewhere else but the majority of used textiles are ending up in landfills across the country uh, so you're seeing you know growth in that physical waste product uh, from things that really weren't used that much to get there
1: What happens when the clothes end up in the landfills? Like, how long does it take for it to actually break down? Yeah,
2: this is an interesting question in terms of what are the clothing. What's the clothing actually made out of? Yeah. So, to the extent that it's a natural fiber, uh, that will break down. uh, It it, it'll break down. It'll create methane, uh, but it will decompose a lot. And probably the majority of of fabrics that are being created now will have some sort of blend. Mm -hmm. And so the blend will be a plastic, which isn't really going to. Biodegrade. It's going to be there for the long run, and then you've got you know dyes and other chemicals. So a lot of this is not actually decomposing. A lot of it is in in landfill. So you then have questions of uh, is that landfill sound? Are the items going to leach out? You have a, a big chemical base in there, um, and you also just have a lot of bulk and an extraordinary backstory of environmental waste
1: that got you to now a new environmental problem, mm-hmm. which is this landfill. And I brought up that thrift store example before. I mean, this is still leading to waste right or can still lead to waste yes It's the number of items that we have
2: uh, that is ultimately going to lead to waste. And the opportunity to partner with a thrift store and to shop at a thrift store, that can absolutely take the edge off. That can absolutely reduce some of the items because it allows then a reduction in how many new items are being purchased, uh, which gets to that broader question of the overall supply of clothes. Uh, It's also a local store typically, uh, a part of a community. But even with that, the
1: majority of textiles will still end up being landfill. We also mentioned, uh, we should mention that there are deep concerns about the exploitative nature of fast fashion on, on global workers, most of whom happen to be women, right? Uh, we had Huda Cutby on the show to talk about the issue, and she's the co-founder of Blue Tin Productions, a Chicago-based initiative of black and brown women. They're aiming to change the, the sweatshop model. Here's a little bit of what she had to say to us about how the industry's model impacts the workers.
3: Gender-based violence is one of the main ways in which all of our clothes are produced, unfortunately. And that looks like um, firing pregnant women, always over time work that is never paid. And the ways in which the demands over like women's bodies and value is so delabored. There are threats of sexual assault in order to get people to work faster, and actual sexual assault that happens daily. And there's also just an actual silencing of garment worker voices. It's like a hellhole, and we're all complicit.
1: Strong words there. What are your thoughts, Karen? And and how do we grapple with that reality?
2: Yeah, there's incredible complexity and incredible challenge in the global supply chain that's bringing us so much cheap clothing. And uh, absolutely, there are longstanding questions about the worker base there in terms of the economic support that they receive, their pay, and also their work environment, not just from the hours, but also from the toxins that they're exposed to. And I think one of the incredibly important questions is, how do you grapple with that existing workforce? It's often in places where there are very few good job opportunities. So this is a very difficult job in many cases. How can the global supply chain send signals back that would create a better working
1: environment for folks who need jobs around the world? Hoda went on to talk about the impact of the pace of the industry. Let's listen
3: fast fashion, um, so brands like Gap, H&M, Nike even, there's no way that we can create fast fashion that is ethical or truly sustainable. We can use sustainable materials, which is how H&M says that it has a sustainable collection, but that collection is not sustainable um, because of the output and the sheer number of quantities produced.
1: So when you think about changing this industry, how much of the responsibility do you think falls on the individual versus the industry?
2: It's always going to be a mix. And I think it's always important to remember that we as consumers can do something. Um, we also are looking at broad system change that will be needed, policy that will be needed. Uh, but if clothes don't sell, they won't be produced. Mm-hmm. So I think there's an opportunity for everyone who is buying to always make a choice when you're thinking about clothing or other or other things that you're going to consume. What to buy? You vote with your dollars if you're lucky enough to have choices. And I think that's a signal that we can all send. What do we choose to buy What do we choose not to buy?
1: It's all an effort to slow down the industry, right? And perhaps make things more sustainable.
2: I think I think actually slowing down is an, is an important way to think about it because then clothing will last longer. Yeah. There will be fewer environmental impacts broadly from that. Um, and I was actually looking at a study that, that talked about the actual support to workers. And it wouldn't take a lot in terms of price point to actually create a meaningful increase in the wages that workers receive because we're talking about a global workforce where the pay base is just so much lower than the U.S. So we're talking a couple cents a garment actually could lead back. So I think there's both a question of, is there an opportunity to have clothing that is a little higher quality that could last longer? Um, Therefore, if you think of cost per wear Mm -hmm. to the consumer, it might be lower even. Uh, but that price signal might actually go back and create a stronger working environment, uh, less environmental impact, and potentially a better chance for a livelihood
1: for someone who's working in the space. <laughs> Makes me think back to that old mantra that we're taught in elementary school, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle, right? How, how many different jingles come to mind <laughs> when, you, when you think of those those three words? Reducing, though, reducing our consumption, it seems like the easiest way to address the problem, but it kind of requires kicking the old consumer habit yeah, there are a How lot of, feasible is that?
2: You know, there's a lot of R's. You've you got to you do your reduce, reuse, recycle. Right. You've got to have some refusing. You've got to have some repurposing. You can have some regifting. So I think we can be creative. There's a lot of R's uh, that we can work with. But I think an important thing in this whole story is that we've seen a huge growth in the number of garments. So it didn't always work this way. But one really interesting thing I found when I was looking into this is that many people only wear about 20% of the clothing that they own. And I think that's the great starting point is how much do you actually wear? And how can those be pieces that are meaningful for you in terms of what they represent from a fashion standpoint, but also what they represent so from an industry? So that's the
1: reuse are. Yeah. Right? That, that seems much more promising. Back now with more Reset. We've talked about the problem. Now let's hear about a creative solution that some Chicagoans have figured out to reuse clothes and other materials, keeping them out of the landfill. This weekend, the Chicago Fair Trade History Museum is hosting the largest clothing swap the city has ever seen. And to find out all about it, we are talking to one of the hosts, Catherine Bissell-Cordova. Also with us is Christine Brandel, a fiber artist and teacher who will be leading a knitting circle at the swap. And still with us is Karen Weigert, Reset Sustainability Contributor. Catherine, why did you decide to host a clothing swap? Sure.
4: Well, ever since... um... April twenty fourth, twenty thirteen was the Rana Plaza tragedy, which was a building in Bangladesh uh had cracks in it. The garment workers were it's a garment, garment um factory and the garment workers were complaining about it and we're still told if you don't go in you won't be paid. And so they went in and over one thousand one hundred garment workers were killed on that day when the building collapsed. Um and ever since that happened mm-hmm. at Chicago Fair Trade we have very much uh, worked to bring awareness to the problems in the fast fashion industry, aside from the all the environmental problems that Karen highlighted very well in the yeah. previous segment, also the human cost of it um, we 're actually having an event april twenty fourth this this uh, next week, which is the tenth anniversary. But we have really looked at ways for for people to to break for so people can break up with fast fashion. Yeah. And so clothing swaps is one of the best ways to do it. And I have been going to clothing swaps for 10 years. And I'm telling you, like, they sound fun. They're so fun. They're They're the greatest thing since (laughs) I've done it, too. They are so so much camaraderie. I've made friends from this one annual epic swap that I go to every year and yeah so it's just such I mean, a good I still easy, have
1: pieces right? in my closet now from beautiful swaps from piece, years ago
4: beautiful pieces that yeah. are in perfect condition and it's just such a way it's you know and Karen was talking about some of the problems with thrifting I mean th- thrifting's way better than buying new things but there's st- it still has its problems but when you when you go to a swap the clothes are taken they're used they're loved and it's like the greatest thing when you have something that you love and there's a slight imperfection or not even maybe you've outgrown it yeah um, which many of us did over <laughs> the pandemic right it's You see someone else take it and wear it.
1: Well, you know, Mm hand-me-downs, that's been around forever. Mm -hmm. Is that building on this tradition, you think?
4: It is. It is. And what we're trying to do with this swap, too, is we're trying to we're billing this as the mo- the most exclusive the inclusive not exclusive inclusive swaps um so we, there's going to be men's clothing uh well, no, the non-binary you know every, I have clothing for everyone at this Clothing swap. for Kids, all. clothing yeah. for all free clothing for Karen, all
1: Karen uh, touch on what what Catherine just just brought up for the person who's listening and thinking you know why is a clothing swap better than a thrift store what would you say exactly
2: Well I'd start with you probably need both over time but I'm going to go with having a little bit of fun. Um, I think this the, part of the, what's so important about a swap is it really is about community, and that's ultimately how all, all social political change happens. It's when you get to know your neighbor. It's when you do something together. And if you can look good at the end of doing it, even better.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Christine, we have talked about the impact of clothes in landfills, uh, but there are lots of practical reasons why people throw clothes away. Maybe there's a hole, maybe a missing zipper, stains. But with a little effort, we can fix those things, can't we? Mm -hmm.
3: Absolutely. Explain. So you can, um, uh, like, secretly fix something because you just need to put a button on or replace the zipper. I mean, that's pretty basic. And right now we're seeing um, a huge explosion in the idea of visible mending so that you have a hole in a sweater and you almost glorify the the spot or the hole or the snag or whatever it is. So you can make your garment really individualized and just make it your own.
1: I feel like there's a sense of pride, too, when I you know, go ahead and like sew my own button back on. Or... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it seems like such a tiny thing, but I'm like, yay, I... now I made this shirt. <laughs> it's huge. Yeah, exactly. Karen, you had a question?
2: Yeah, I'd I'd love to ask. Uh, my sewing skills are probably, I think, where Sasha's might be. But <laughs> for an expert, are there some things that are easier
3: or some things that are harder to repair? How do you think about that? Well, I think buttons are really, really easy. And, and... <laughs> I was feeling really proud of myself. No, no, no. You, and you should be, right? Because, honestly, if you don't do it, if you send it out to be done, it can be relatively spendy. Right. Right? So hems, I mean, those are easy to learn how to do. Zippers can be a little bit more complicated, but I mean, everything is learnable. Well, and I'd say too that
4: at Chicago Fair Trade, we have a conscious closet club Mm -hmm. and that's how Christine uh, became involved with us. And we've done visible mending workshops and we're going to have a mender on Friday night. Tomorrow Mm -hmm. night, we're having a preview for the swap and cocktails and whatnot. And um. Yeah. Bliss. Joy. Will be there. Uh, yeah. Helping with mending.
1: That's wonderful. Well, you know, uh, uh, you bring up a, a word that we should probably clarify: visible mending versus like quiet mm-hmm. mending. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the difference, Christine?
3: So when you're doing visible mending, it's almost like, hey, I'm mending here. It's <laughs> it's. Can I show you an example? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah,
1: so you brought some. I so see. You have a bag of treats. <laughs> a bag of goodies. Oh, that's a sweater, beautiful sweater. Okay, and that's a visible mending that yep. I can see on the front, where yeah. it's sort of you know patchwork of
3: yeah. So it's stitching, almost, yeah, obvious stitching on a otherwise. But it looks like a design, exactly. that you
1: meant to put there.
3: Yeah, exactly.
1: Okay, gotcha. Uh, so this has been a Japanese tradition for a long time, but it's just starting to gain popularity here in the U.S. What do you think it is that's making it popular?
3: I think there's a big space for self-expression, and I think that um, there's a lot of people who are hearing what Karen and Kathleen are saying now about, you know, we can reuse items. We don't have to toss them, and so you can proudly say, yeah, this was mine, and I made it mine, and there may be other sweaters or shirts like this, but nothing is exactly like this. Yeah. Did you bring some other things for us Take a look at? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, that's a big some. bag.
1: I'm sure you'd have more than one sweater. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what was cool about that that visible mend that you just showcased on the sweater, too, was that you can use different color thread, right? And you can really complement the color of the item and contrast. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, it's easy to go through. What's that, a pair of shorts or pair, a pair of trousers? Yeah. And so it's a patch. And then there's also stitching all around it. A
1: patch on the knee, and then a little peekaboo, bright little blue bit of color. color. Yeah, yeah,
3: love that. And you know, ever popular jeans. Oh, denim. So, you know. Oh yeah, that stitch work is some, pretty cool. Yeah, you can do some fun stuff with Looks that. Looks like a
1: really cool design. So, tell us more, Catherine, about the the other mending opportunities that are going to be happening at the event this sure. weekend. Sure. Well,
4: they'll they'll be mending services on Friday night, and then on Saturday we actually have. Um, Caitlin Stewart, who's the Windy City thrifter, is going to be there giving styling uh, advice. And on Sunday, we're going to have um, Jess Fausto, the thrifted gay, on Sunday doing styling. And, you know, if you just follow us or or follow along, we will definitely be doing some more mending um, workshops.
1: They've been very popular. You know, what if nothing needs to be repaired and someone just maybe they just want something new?
4: Come to our swap? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's, the, there's that. There's that. Yeah.
1: What oh. are ways that you think people can, can think about giving an old garment a new
0: look?
4: Um, that's not my area of expertise. I'm going to pass it back to you. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
4: she's very creative. You should do, ask her about her
1: skirt she's wearing. Well, you can <laughs> tell us about the skirt that you're wearing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I hear there's a story.
3: Well, it started life as a pair of jeans. And then um, I have two parts of two shirts that were my dad's absolute favorite. And when they shredded too much that my mom wouldn't let him wear them anymore, he gave them to me and I turned it all into a skirt and then did some <laughs> extra stitching on it. So, yeah, so a so connection that way. So
1: ways that folks can turn old garments into new looks, where would you say they start?
3: Yeah, so um, if you had... I'm just going to make this up. If you had a shirt that you really like and maybe you want to change up the collar or maybe you want to put something different on the cuff or change the sleeve out, you can also, if you had like three sweaters, you can take them apart and then put the back with a different front or different sleeves. I mean, you can... It's, a lot just of your, it's just your imagination. It
1: feels like the sky's the limit.
3: It totally <laughs> is. It absolutely is. It's kind of a black hole once you get started.
1: <laughs> this is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. And if you're just tuning in, we are talking about ways to keep clothes out of landfills through mending garments and hosting clothing swaps. This weekend, the Chicago Fair Trade History Museum is hosting a giant clothing swap, and so we're talking with Catherine Bissell-Cordova with Chicago Fair Trade and fiber artist Christine Brandel, also Reset Sustainability contributor Karen Weigert. I'm going to go around the room. I'm curious. What are your favorite items to get at a clothing swap? You first, Karen.
2: She talked about cocktails. Am I allowed to actually, <laughs>
4: <laughs> just
2: Clothing kidding. items. I'm sorry, just, just kidding. Clothes. Uh, when I think about items that I've gotten that have not been brand new, I actually think it's awesome to grab jackets. They tend to be more expensive, and uh, they're a fine item that you can see. Same,
1: I am um, I, jackets, blazers. Those those are my my go tos. And w- when I talked earlier about still having pieces, That's... those are the things I go for. Colors, and I mm-hmm. you know, and they, I can swap them out. I wear dresses a lot. And, yeah, that's, my, that's the magic. That's the sauce. What about you, Kevin? Well,
4: I'd say my proudest thrift was for my daughter, who uh, a friend had brought a pair of 20-year-old Doc Martin boots, and my daughter, who is getting goth, you know, is a teenager. And she <laughs> wears, you know, five, six, Don't seven years Don't they all go through later, that stage? She's still in that stage. She's still, you know, six, seven years later, she's still wearing them, and they're in perfect condition.
1: Love that. What about you, Christine?
3: Um, I like wool sweaters because I can do a lot. With them, you can felt them, or you can you can keep wearing them, or you can do all kinds of stuff. With oh,
1: them. interesting I'm gonna to have to pick your brain a little bit more <laughs> after we get up here give us your your approach uh, when it comes to to thinking about the potential of scraps and waste materials to become new items like what what are you looking for what What kinds of ways are you bending and mending things if you will <laughs>
3: um so you can um remake almost anything. I mean, if you can, you can sew on it, you can, like either with a machine or by hand, you can turn it from a plastic bag into something totally different. You can make yarn out of things that might not be yarn otherwise. So you're doing things with plastic bags too? I hear
1: you said that if you can bend it you can knit it. Yep. Is that true? Is that your is that your uh, your motto?
3: Yep. <laughs> so
1: Oh, you are and you're digging in the I'm bag. Digging you in my you've bag got again. something
3: else. So plastic bag yarn, I knit it. That was a plastic bag? Yep.
1: And it's now a, what what do you keep in there? Is that like a little makeup
3: bag or your Well, it's small weaving looms. Weaving <laughs> looms. The next best thing. So plastic bag yarn Oh, oh, my cool. goodness. Yeah.
1: That's incredible. Yep. That is incredible. Um, you make yarn out of plastic bags. You use VCR tape, too.
3: Yeah. What you do you can, do with that? You can knit with VCR tape or cassette tape. I mean, if you can bend it, you can weave it or knit it or crochet it. You can stitch with You're
1: it. You're making yoga mats, I hear?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Thick um, thick bits of plastic. Like For these kind of things, yeah. I would cut the plastic into smaller strips. But if you use a plastic bag in its entirety, mm-hmm. then when you crochet or knit it up, it's, it's about that thick.
1: Oh, my gosh. That is incredible. Karen, are you – I mean, first of all, you're – for those who can't see, Karen's jaw <laughs> is on the floor.
2: I'm just amazed at this. I have got to up my game. What
1: I just learned. We're like jackets and blazers. <laughs> and Christine comes and just, like, you know, blows us out of the water here. Also, apparently, I need a portable loom. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and here I am thinking, like, what what makeup products can I put in that bag? <laughs> um, how can events like the swap, Karen, and, and teaching mending skills, how can all of that help with sustainability efforts? Drive that point home for us. Absolutely. And it, to me, it's, it's actually two parts. The first is it does connect
2: people to other people. And that's actually the greatest way to think about creating the community, the society and the ultimately the economy that we want. But in a really particular way, it allows a product to last longer. So that reduces the need for new products and it reduces the transportation to bring that new product to you. So you reduce all of the environmental harms that would come from both the production and the transportation. And then you get a story and you get a friend.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So back to you, Catherine, I want to hear more about this fun clothing swap coming up. What other activities are on tap for folks? Sure. Well, one thing I
4: someone texted me during this, actually, um, they'll be mending also on Saturday. Um, and, yes, on Friday night, there will definitely there'll be Fair Trade wine um, and <laughs> snacks. Um, and then also we're going to have – we're launching tomorrow night a knitting project that we have that um, we're going to be using Fair Trade yarn. And we've gotten a grant from the Simmons Center for Global Chicago, and we're partnering with India Development Service. And we're partnering with a women's Fair Trade knitting cooperative, um, Nari Himalaya mm-hmm. – or Himalaya Nari, sorry – and – Guess who's going to be teaching the knitting part? On, well, helping. Oh, the, the I Indian wonder. It's not Karen. <laughs> no, the Indian women. Uh, the Indian women have have filmed some. Um, videos and it's also just letting people know, people who make their things. Um, it's a way to see and, and and a good thing that Christina's pointed out. You know, whenever you try to make something, then you really appreciate the work that goes into it. <laughs> oh for I'm sure. I'm with you two here. I am not handy, but uh, not, I mean not, that's what I'm getting gathered from I this mean, conversation. Catherine <laughs> I'm sewing buttons, buttons that's here. True. Come on. But, you know an important thing that that, <laughs> that 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 is true though these days, kids these days, no they don't have home they don't learn that anymore. They don't. We yeah. I'm old enough. I learned that in school but they're not teaching that anymore, which is really also adding to shame. the problem of a throwaway culture. But so um, there there will be – it's it's from nine 5 to 9 tomorrow night, Friday night, and then it's from 12 to 5 Saturday and Sunday. Oh, beautiful. It's simple. People get kind of like, oh, I don't have anything. Don't worry. We already have a lot of nice clothes, and we're going to have a lot more. And then, yeah, then afterwards we're going to donate them. Uh, yeah. But, That's great. But, yeah, I mean, it's just there, as I've said, like it sounds fun. It's more fun than it sounds even. three days of,
1: of, of fun there yeah um, so of course christine we, we just put you on blast your, your knitting <laughs> circle happening at the at the swap you got to tell us more about what you'll be doing
3: so um we do have fair trade yarn and we'll be either teaching knitting if you don't know how already or if you know how and just need a moment to knit something you're welcome to do that we have all the supplies there
4: And we'll be creating a blanket out of all the squares um, on
1: World Fair Trade Day on May 13th. Oh, that's awesome. How did you get into this, Christine? Which
3: this is that. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's so many things that you do. The the knitting portion of of the conversation. How did I learn to knit? Yes. Oh, gosh. Um, When I was a young kid, my very cool cousin from California came out here to go to college, and she taught me how to knit and crochet when I was
1: 10. Wow. So, oh, you've been doing this a while. Yeah, that is awesome. Well, you've just given us the details there, uh, Catherine, of the event. But I mean, I know it does cost money, whereas traditional swaps are free. So tell us why and and give us an idea of how much.
4: Yeah. So so a ten dollar donation on Saturday or Sunday, thirty five dollars Friday night. But that's unlimited fair trade wine, cocktails, Mending services all of this. Karen's happy um, about that. It's also the <laughs> discount for members or if you become a member then it's free. So um and it's you know partly we we do a lot of I mean we we do a lot of free events. Yes, And um we're just this will also go to support future activities. Yeah, it's a great cause. Um, yeah, and we you know we help, we work with a lot of high schools. A lot of high schools do swaps and we help them become fair trade schools and get into sustainability and fair trade and all
1: it's of gonna that. It's going to be a, so a the good donation time. support that. We've been talking with Catherine Bissell-Cordova with Chicago Fair Trade, fiber artist Christine Brandel, and Reset Sustainability contributor Karen Weigert. Thank you all. This episode of Reset was produced by Linnea Dominic and it was edited by Andrew Merriweather and Meha Ahmed. Make Reset a regular part of your day by subscribing to our podcast. We post episodes every morning and afternoon, Monday through Friday, and a bonus episode on Saturdays. That's all for today. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk to you tomorrow.